Will you pray with me? Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in your sight. We thank you for your word. May it always be a lamp unto our feet and the light unto our path. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and all God's people said, Amen. I thought we already practiced this once, but all God's people said, because we had enthusiasm earlier and we feel like the music is so good. Our time together is so good. I just think the energy is in this place. School is back in session. The fall is among us. There was football on the TV last night. They say what goes around comes around or that you reap what you sow. Some people call it karma. Other people say it's fate. Whatever it is you call it, um, I can tell more and more that one day in the very near future, I'm going to receive that which is due to me. You see, my daughter's vocabulary has increased exponentially in recent weeks. She went from barely crawling to now exclaiming with emphasis her internal desires and her consternations. If she's hungry, she will run around saying, knack, knack, knack. All food is a knack. That's short for snack. If she's sleepy, we'll ask her, August, do you want to go night-night? And if she is ready for bed, she'll say, night-night. And she'll walk around and give everybody a kiss and say, love you, including the dogs. She'll run towards her room yelling, book, 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 book. Which means one of you needs to follow me and read me a story. She's in this really fun stage, but her most common word in her vernacular is no. No. And it's a full body motion. It is not just a word. It is an experience for her. I've never been so simultaneously frustrated and amused all at the same time. She says no vigorously, like it comes deep from within her. You say, August, would you like some more? No. Are you all done? No. It's so much fun to discover these new things as she's learning new words. But I can see in her eye the very beginnings of something dangerous, and that is curiosity. This is um, what I'm talking about when I say what goes around comes around. I was and still am a very curious person. I'm naturally inquisitive. I want to know things. I'm not necessarily nosy. I hope not. I just am interested in understanding This trait has been a feature of my personality since I was August's age. And I think I see that same personality trait beginning to develop in her tiny young mind. As a child, I'm told that I asked more questions than breaths I breathed. If something was new, I would ask, what is that? If I didn't know what it did, I'd say, how does it work? But the question I asked the most, and I still find myself asking all the time, is the title of our sermon this morning, Why? If something was unfamiliar or I couldn't understand it, I would immediately ask, why? And the answer, because I said so, never sat well with me. If I was told that I couldn't get ice cream on the way home, I would want to know why I couldn't get ice cream. If I was told I had to go to school, I would want to know why I had to go to school. If my parents said the dog had to live outside instead of in my room, I wanted to know why. 
why has been one of my most regular questions, and I can already tell that I'm about a minute from cosmic payback. August's word bank, as it increases, she's becoming so much more self-aware, able to communicate her desires effectively. No, knack, bath, mama. These are not just statements of reality. They are commands. And when we refuse her commands, I can see the wheels in her head spinning as she asks, why? Why can't I have what I want? Why can't I do what I want? Why is it this way and not that way? If she does turn out to be this way, if she does perpetuate these questions, she'll be well-equipped to encounter the person of Jesus that we find in the Gospels, and in particular in our Gospel lesson this morning. We just read a little bit ago from Luke chapter 13 where Jesus was teaching at one of the synagogues on the Sabbath, and that is the important detail from this text. It was the Sabbath, the day of rest, the day the Lord commanded that no work shall be done. And faithful Israelites were supposed to go beyond rigid links to observe this divine commandment. Which is why when Jesus healed a woman with a spirit that had her crippled for 18 years, the religious leaders were indignant, the text says. Jesus saw this woman who had been bent over and could not stand up straight for almost two decades. He had compassion on her and set her free from her ailment. And instead of being amazed at the miracle, instead of rejoicing with his sister in the faith, the leader of the synagogue was indignant because Jesus had cured on the Sabbath. The leader said, there are six days on which work ought to be done. She could have come yesterday. She could come tomorrow. She can't be cured on the Sabbath. But Jesus looked at the man, and he gave him the ultimate, what are you talking about? He told him, he said, you are a hypocrite. I mean, it doesn't get much more intense than that. He says, you do things you're not supposed to do on the Sabbath all the time. You untie your donkey and your ox, and you take them to water. That's work. But just because it's the Sabbath day, does that mean this woman who is an Israelite, a daughter of Abraham, should not be set free from her bondage? And when Jesus said these things, the text says that his opponents were put to shame and that the entire crowd was rejoicing at all the wonderful things he was doing. Here, Jesus is asking his listeners, as well as us readers today, to engage in critical thinking. If you are hearing this word either in its original context or if you are like me in the 21st century encountering the text, it should evoke in us a question. Why? Why was Jesus not supposed to heal on the Sabbath? Why would the synagogue leader be happy for his sister of faith to continue being in bondage? Why, if Jesus knew the rules, would he break them intentionally? Asking why is the ultimate form of critically engaging with the Bible. And it's exactly what Jesus was doing when he healed this woman on the Sabbath. He knew what the law said. He knew what the tradition was. He knew what the rules were supposed to be. But he said, why are we practicing something that is clearly not within the will of God? Why are we perpetuating something when we know something else is right? But there's a warning I want to offer before we go any further. When we ask these why questions and take them to any logical end, 
it always has a great potential to be terribly disruptive. Jesus is terribly disruptive. You see, asking why implies that there's a tension to be considered between that which has always been and that which ought to be. What traditions, habits, and rules exist that have existed for a while, and should they still be practiced or followed? This tension exists in a number of different places in our world. The juxtaposition of what has been and what will be. But when we think about the implications of asking why this morning, in light of our gospel text, I want us to consider it from the position of the church and from us as individuals. What happens when the church asks why? And what happens when we, for ourselves, ask why? So first, I think it is vital that we as a church should always be in the business of asking why we do what we do. When it comes to our mission, our vision, our programming, our worship services, why do we do what we do? And why do we do them the way that we do them? Why do we process in with a cross every week? Why do we house Family Promise? Why do we support Joy for Johnny? Why do we have a pumpkin patch? And like I said, these questions have the potential to be terribly disruptive. However, I do not believe that just by asking why that we are implying that we have to dismiss our traditions, our habits, or our rules. Just because you ask why does not mean that we're going to stop doing it. It simply causes us to reconsider, is something still worth doing, thinking, obeying? I'll give you a couple of examples. Every month we celebrate communion in this service. Every week we do it in the contemporary service, and every week we do it in the chapel service. Communion is a tradition. It's something that has guidelines and rules, and it is something that is transformational. When we receive Holy Communion, we are experiencing the mystery of faith. Grace is being transferred. We are experiencing the fullness of what God has to offer us. It is worthwhile. It is worth doing. When we ask why, we can be confident that this is something we ought to do. But let me juxtapose that about against a very different experience, a very different tradition, not from our church, but from a small rural church that I knew of. Every year they had an outreach that they did as the one outreach that this small church did. And I use the word outreach loosely because what they would do is after worship, they would transform their parking lot into a place for hot dog sales. They would sell these fire engine red bold hot dogs as a way of getting together in fellowship. You could get it to go. You could stay and enjoy a meal. And it would be the one big thing they did every year as a church. People looked forward to the hot dog sale. People talked about the hot dog sale. People came home for the hot dog sale. But the story takes an interesting turn. When the hot dog sale wraps up, their outreach is over. They look at their proceeds, their profits, and if number of hot dogs sold is a gauge of success, they were very successful. And so they counted up the number of people that it took to put this hot dog sale on. They divided the profits by that number. They distributed the profits equally, and they all went home and kept the money. 
And this might not be the most egregious thing a church has ever done, but it was the tradition of this church to do so. And they saw nothing wrong with it. Every year was the annual hot dog sale, and that's just how it went. There are certain traditions, habits, rules that we do that might seem normal just because we were raised to do them. But when we ask why, it might be terribly disruptive. As a body of believers, we shouldn't hesitate to ask these questions. Why are we doing what we do? Is it serving a purpose? Is it reaching people? Or does it just perpetuate our own desires? Is this something that is still honoring to God and beneficial to the kingdom of heaven? And in the same way, we ought to ask ourselves those questions, right? What habits, traditions, and rules are we all participating in every day for which we should ask, why are we doing this? What are the things that you are doing every morning when you wake up, every weekend? What are your annual yearly traditions that you are perpetuating? Is it just because you've always done them? Are you coming to church just because you've always done it? Or is it transformational for your life? I have two examples that are maybe the first is a little bit silly, but I'll tell it anyway, because sometimes I tell silly stories. Before I got married, um, I had a practice that I've maintained most of my life that I was very good at. It was a habit of mine that I could um, excel in keeping up with. I had in every bedroom I've ever lived in what I called a laundry chair. And my laundry chair was the most effective way of keeping up with the clothes that came out of the wash. I didn't have to waste time hanging them up. I didn't have to waste time putting them in a drawer. I didn't even really have to waste time ironing them out because they're probably going to get wrinkly in the laundry chair. And the laundry chair was perfect because I could see what I wanted for, with an eyesight. I didn't have to waste time. I could get it. And then I got married. And my wife said, why do we have a laundry chair? <laughs> and you can guess that uh, we no longer have a laundry chair. We have a chest of drawers. And we have closets with hangers. And it took somebody else helping me realize by asking why for me and helping me ask why for myself that that might not be the best habit to maintain. What is going on in your life that I can help you this morning by saying, why are you doing that? Does it make sense? Is it beneficial for your sanctification? Are you participating in something and perpetuating something just because your family always did it, so you should always do it? Is there a group you're a part of that you wonder, why am I even spending my money doing this, my time? Is it worthwhile? Is it kingdom building? Does it benefit my soul? There are certain traditions that do carry deep meaning, do they not? There are certain things, habits, rules, ideas that we perpetuate that when we ask why, we can say because they matter. The eve of our wedding and the eve of every wedding on my wife's side of the family, um, her grandfather used to take a $2 bill and, and he would cut it in half, which I know is illegal, but don't hold that against him. And he would take each half of the $2 bill and he would sign the date of the wedding. And he'd get up during his speech and he'd give each half to a member of the couple and say, as long as you're together, you'll never be broke. On my desk, I have my half of the $2 bill. I see it every time I go into my office. 
But Brianna's grandfather passed away the first year we were dating. And so her mom, on the eve of our wedding, stood up with tears in her eyes and said to each of us, here is half of a $2 bill. As long as you're together, you'll never be broke. And it wasn't about the value of a $2 bill. It was about what that tradition communicated, about the importance of family, about remembering, about carrying on and maintaining that which matters. And so let me ask you, what do you need to be doing more that matters? And have you asked yourself, why are you not? Why are you not calling your parents more? Why are you not trying to reconcile with your family that is estranged? Why are you not engaging in ministries like Joy for Johnny? Why? I pray that we are a church that doesn't just do things just to do them. I pray that we are Christians that don't just do things just to do them. When Jesus was engaging with this woman who was crippled, he knew what the rules were. He knew what had always been done. And he said, why do we have to do it that way? And he healed her on the Sabbath. May we be a people that critically engage our lives, the Bible, our society, our culture, us as individuals, and ask hard questions like why? In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and all God's people said, amen.